I didn't learn anything from this project. He goes, if, if there would have been some little failure, then I could have learned from it. Thank you so much for coming here this morning. I really appreciate it, Dennis. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's great man. being here, Lance, and good good to see you. Yeah, and I, I really got a kick out of the letter that you, I mean, the little message you sent, you know, um, just so that you know, we've been through something at the club. The club always goes through, through its ups and downs, and that's what club life is all about. When I saw Dennis stand up at one of the town halls we had and tell his truth, I said, well, that's what, the club is made of members like that. And that's what I felt good about. So Dennis, yeah. let's start, where were you born? Yeah, originally I'm from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So Phoenix, uh, I, I haven't met, I think you're probably the first person I've met that's actually born. You were born in Phoenix, yeah. Arizona? Yeah, Good Samaritan Hospital in downtown Phoenix. Yeah. You have Indian blood in you or something? No, I, I don't, but uh, our, our family's minor claim to fame was uh, my great-great-grandfather was the first treasurer of the state of Arizona. So Arizona became a state in 1912, so my family's been there a long time. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah. what does your family do? I mean, would you, so your great-great-great-grandfather was there. Yep. You're a lawyer now, aren't you? Yes. Yes, I'm a okay. patent attorney. A patent attorney. That's what you yep. told me before. So how did your family, what do they do there in Arizona now? See, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you the, the quick family lore was uh, they were ranchers in California in the, in the 1800s, and there was a drought, and... All the, all the families or all the ranchers in the area were moving their, their cattle to greener pastures. So they were going through Arizona on this huge cattle train. And uh, apparently uh, our family's cattle ran off. And so, so they, got, uh, they got separated from the cattle train and then they ended That's up staying. Too, they ended up staying, yeah. So, because you always wonder why, why the heck would anyone move to the middle of a desert when you got California, a couple hundred miles away, which is the right most beautiful ocean, place right in ocean. the world. Yeah, yes. yeah. So that, that's, the, that's the family story. Anyway. So do you have, does your family control a lot of that area? You know what? You know what, Lance? I, I wish they did. I always ask my grandfather. I said, well, I said what happened, man? Well, what, what, what all this land? You know, there, there's a place in Arizona called Paradise Valley. Okay. And he goes, I, you know, it's a super wealthy, super nice, super nice place now, right? I said, I said Grand, Grandpa, why, why don't we have any land here? He goes, I remember when they were selling that for five cents an acre, you know? <laughs> I said, man. So no, we, we didn't have any. Do you have siblings? Yeah, I got a younger younger brother who's um, who works with me. He's also a patent attorney, lives in New Jersey, and my sister's a um, doctor. She's a nurse anesthetist, so a PhD in nursing, and she is in between Florida and New Jersey as well. Are you the oldest? I'm the oldest. Yeah. So yeah. how many years between you and your brother and your sister? So uh, not, I'm nine years older than my brother and eleven older than my sister. Are you guys close? Well, I guess you are. Your brother's yeah. working with you. Yeah, yeah, we're very close. My, yeah, um, I talk to my siblings all the time. You know, my my brother, uh, super ni nicest guy in the world. And one of the he, he was working for a big law firm in Manhattan. And one of the reasons he quit his job is because he wanted to work together. Because I'm out here, and he goes, "Ah, eh, we don't talk as much." So, you know, so it's nice. So I talk to my brother almost every day. Is he yeah. married? Yeah, married, two kids. Yeah. You don't. You're not married yet, right? No, I'm still single. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What about your sister? Is she married? Yeah, my sister's married, expecting her first kid in August. So that'll be that'll be fun. Gonna head back to the States in a few months. So, <laughs> so you just you just don't want wait, instead of making one woman miserable, you're trying to make many women yeah. happy. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd put it that way, but uh, yeah, maybe. When you went through school in Arizona, did you yeah. stay there all how old were you when you finally left? Yeah, so uh 
I went to engineering school at Arizona State. Um, so I was an electrical engineer, got out of school, worked in the defense aerospace industry at Honeywell. So Honeywell is the uh, largest private employer in the state of Arizona. So okay. um, they used to be Allied Signal. So we did a lot of uh, you know aircraft engines, um, smoke detectors on airplanes, the, the Halon system, cavern pressure control system, these, these kind of things. So you're a patent lawyer, though. Yeah, yeah. So so, wait, so the. the um, yeah, the, the patent lawyer, you know, it kind of combines law and engineering. So I work, I'm a lawyer, but I work with engineers, you know, on their new products, trying to protect their new products. So, um, so that's where the overlap was. You okay. know, I, I never wanted to be a lawyer, right? I love the engineering aspect of it. And, and uh, yeah, the, 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 the lawyer thing was kind of new. What happened, what happened was um, the, the U.S. military has the Apache helicopter, and uh, they were going to make the next generation called the Comanche. And so I got hired, I got hired by um, Honeywell in Tucson to help help you know design some of these components. Well, the whole entire Comanche program got canceled, mm-hmm. and um, they were going to start laying off people. Right? It, it was it was in a, in a lull in the in the business cycle. And I remember talking to a senior engineer, saying, "Man, great! I just got hired. Now I'm going to get fired because this you know this stupid program you know the whole program gets canceled." And he, he tells me, he "Goes Dennis? He goes, No, you're not going to get fired. He goes, Your job's safe." He goes, he goes, you don't make any money. He goes, they're going to fire the senior engineers. They make a lot more than you do. And I thought to myself, I said, oh, man, that, you know, I guess that's good for me. But then what happens when I become a senior engineer? Like, I, you know, when you're in your 50s or 60s or whatever, you don't want to have to go through that you know, BS. Right, exactly. So I started looking at other, you know, other career options. I thought, oh, maybe I'll try being a, being a patent guy. How old were you at that time? 20, yeah, 23. What did your father do? What kind of work did your father do? He was a salesman. He's a he's a people person. So selling all, all sorts of stuff from some some technology stuff to selling books and. Then to me, your mother and father still together? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's neat. So how old yeah. is your father now? Just out of curiosity. Oh, he's going to be I think sixty five, somewhere around there. Is that right? Yeah. So he had you when you were, he was young. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Okay. And then you waited <laughs> waited yeah. a long time to have your sister and then your brother. Yeah, my brother, brother and then sister. Your brother and then your sister. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Did your mother work? Uh, she did. They're they're both um, basically retired. They they kind of work, you know, a little bit just kind of for fun and to stay busy. Okay. You know. So who so. pushed you in the directions that you went into? Because first of all, just in engineering. Yeah. Your father's a salesman. Yeah, you know, we had we had a uh, one of my uncles was on your mother or father's side. Mother's mother's side, uh, really impressive guy. He he was the top engineer at Disney, so the Imagineers. And as a little kid, you're thinking, ah, oh, this is this is so cool. And and he was an electrical engineer, so um, I, I kind of I thought, oh, well, my uncle, you know, he's he's doing well. He seems you know super smart guy. So I said, ah, oh, let me let me give this a shot. So who were you like as a little kid? Were you more academic or were you more sports minded? I'm thinking elementary. Yeah, you know, I it was definitely more sports. You know, I wanted to be a scientist when I was a kid, but I had no idea what that even meant, right? So, you know, I loved I loved doing sports. So Is there I, any, what kind yeah. of sports did you like to do when you were a little kid? You know, my favorite was basketball. That was my passion. Um, but baseball, football too. But just kind of you know pick up stuff. I played organized baseball, but I, I was never big enough for. So your school football. had all the facilities for everything. Yeah, okay, yeah, absolutely, and you know, just just playing with friends too. Right. You know, playing touch football, and right. you know, just going out playing catch, and you know, stuff like that. So, yeah. when did the academics start to kick in? What subjects you, did you, you know first? Yeah, to be honest, uh, I, I wasn't. I, I did okay in high school, but I didn't try. You know, I didn't. It didn't. Okay, I, I didn't really care. 
right? Wait, wait, because you feel bored in the classes? Just, you know, I don't know. I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't have the motivation. But when I got to college, I said, oh, you know, oh, shit. Like, uh, if, I, if I don't do well, my life isn't going to be, you know, isn't going to be, not going to turn out how I want it to turn out. So you're getting passing grades through elementary, junior high, high yeah. school. Yeah, pretty good grades, but just not, not applying myself, okay. you know. And then in, in college for engineering school, then, um, yeah, then I worked really hard. In the beginning, it was it was really difficult, but then, you you know, you find your footing and you know, kind so of So you never back. got into, what about the game centers and stuff like that? Not really. I was, I was more of an outside kid playing, you know, playing basketball and, and baseball, stuff so, like that. So when you, went from, when you left high school and then you went into college, mm -hmm. you start thinking, this is what I want to do. Yeah. What were you thinking that you wanted to do once you got out of high school and you said... Man, you, you know, those are I, critical times for us because people are yeah, putting a little bit of pressure yeah. on you. And, yeah, you know, and and to be honest, I didn't even really know what an engineer did. I told another family member I was I was going to be an electrical engineer, and they said, well, "What does that mean? An, an electrician?" And right, I said, right, right. Uh, "Yeah, I don't know exactly. You know, I think it's a little bit more than electrician, but right. I, I don't know." So, uh, you know, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was going to be like consumer electronics stuff, but. You know, then I, I went into uh, defense and aviation, which was super fun. When did you go into that? So uh, I was an intern mm -hmm. for a rocket company called Orbital Sciences. So there. When is this your sophomore year? When are you talking about? Yeah, this? probably. Uh, yeah, probably junior sophomore okay, junior sophomore. year. Um, really, really interesting company. It was kind of like SpaceX before SpaceX. They were they were trying to get cheap rockets into space. So their rocket group was uh, right right close to the university, and of course, a lot of the engineers there. They all went, you know, they all went to Arizona State. So, right. um, so that was my first first experience in aerospace. And then coming out of school, I graduated in two thousand three. The economy wasn't great, so you know, I was looking anywhere I could to, you know, try to find an opportunity. And and uh, the, these guys in Tucson, Arizona, at Honeywell, uh, you so know, there's one. Yeah, they said. So they, they said, came okay. to you. They came to you, or did no, you? No, I, I I applied. You applied. You applied. Yeah, okay. I, I applied, and uh, I got. I definitely got a little bit fortunate. So. Uh, you know, for the engineering interview, it wasn't just like this conversation, right? right. So we have a we have a quick conversation, five or ten minutes, make sure you know, kind of normal, and then they give me three they give me three engineering problems, right? And then the, these two senior guys, extremely intelligent guys, are looking at you as you're as you're doing the problems. So right? you had, but do, wait, okay. So when you came to this interview, you had no idea what they were going to do. No, I. I didn't. No one had told you. No one had prepped no. you. Didn't, didn't know anyone. Oh, yeah. Didn't 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 know. Anyway, but okay. but you know what, Lance? Before the night before the interview, I started going over some basic like fundamental engineering stuff. Okay. Two of those things I studied the night before were were two of the questions. So it was pretty funny. So I was walking through it, you know, just super confident. Oh, this is a this is a D flip flop. The characteristic table is about you know. And these guys are looking at me like, damn, this is on the tip of his, you know. Right. So uh, so yeah, that you know. Out of the three questions, I think I think I got two of them right, and so you never knew. They never told you how what the result was. Yeah, well, you know what? It was funny because they're th these guys are engineers, so they're looking at me doing it. Oh yeah, yeah, and you could do this too, and you know they, 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 they love it, right? That, you, you know, once they, they see were, someone starting to do it, and, said, you know, okay, okay, you yeah. don't want him to fail because yeah. at least he's going for it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was good. It was, it was a it was a great group. It was it was really really great to um, to be a part of that. I remember, I'll, I'll tell you one, one story that I love. Um, my technical advisor at, at Honeywell, brilliant guy, his name was John Harkey. And um, we, uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a last minute thing. We had to do a, a, a circuit controller for a Rolls-Royce turbine engine, right? And this was, this was a last minute deal. 
And um, he has his own little, little laboratory in his garage. So that night he went, he did the designs that day, <clears throat> went to his garage, soldered it himself, you know, tested it. And then the next morning I saw, I saw this, little, this little printed circuit board with these soldered components on it. And um, I said, oh, is that the uh, Rolls Royce controller? And, and John goes, yeah, yeah. And I said, How, you know, did it work? How'd it go? He goes, yeah, yeah, it worked, worked perfect. He goes, worked just like I designed it. I'm like, oh man, that's awesome. If, if it was anything, if I would have done it, I, I would have been so happy it worked. But John goes, he goes, actually, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed. And I said, I said, what are you talking about, man? He just said it worked perfect. And he goes, yeah. He goes, but I, I probably made some choices in there that I didn't fully understand. And he goes, I probably got lucky in one or two places. You know, and he goes, he goes I didn't learn anything from this project. He goes, if, if there would have been some little failure, then I could have learned from it. And I, I was so impressed. I thought, damn, here's this genius level guy. And he is so humble. And he, you know, he was disappointed because he didn't learn anything. You know? you, and, and it's really interesting what you said. And I think everybody should hear this really well. If he failed, he would have learned something. Yeah. yeah. That's the important part. People think failure means failure. No, that means you have an opportunity to learn. And that's, unfortunately, that's how our life is. But we put such a bad, you know, uh, uh, rap on failure that we think, oh, yep. that's the last thing we want to do. Then you yep. won't learn anything. Yep, absolutely right. And as you know, that was so good. as a 23-year-old engineer, I'm looking at this guy like, like he's a god. Like, damn, this guy is one of the smartest guys I know, and he's so humble. And that was a lesson that I've carried with me, you know, throughout my throughout my career. You know, that is so nice. My yeah. goodness, hear that. And a lot of people don't know Rolls Race makes. Airplane engines, mm -hmm. jet engines. Yeah. They think of just the car whenever they hear that. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Yeah. That's interesting. So we get a circuit board. Yeah. It's just ones, it's ons and off, ons and off. Yeah. And as you put it through. Yep. Right? Yep. yep. So you have the analog, you have the analog design and, and the digital stuff. So what's, you know, what makes the digital analog different? Because analog is, is analog just ones and zeros? So digital digital's the ones and zeros. The analog is, is basically continuous. Continuous. Okay, right. Yeah. It's a wave. Yep. Yep. Okay. And so so oftentimes to get the digital, they, they, sample, they sample this wave like this, and this is a one or this is a zero, and, and then it get, gets put out into the... Now, what's the new thing? What's new that's coming up now? Because they're getting out of that. They're coming into what? Not fusion, but um, there's another term they're using that, that's going to outdo crystal. Oh, the, uh, the quantum computers. Quantum, quantum yes. Yeah, yeah. How does that work? You know that that I don't know. They they got these they got these qubits. Um, it's it's super sophisticated. It's using you know quantum uh, quantum mechanics, which mm -hmm. is incredibly confusing. It, it's not intuitive at all. So I, I'm I'm just like you. I'm super curious how the, how this yeah, stuff's yeah, gonna work. Like, I, I want someone to break it down and make it simple so you can understand what they're doing. Yeah, I have at least think you understand. Yeah, yeah. For a yeah. five year old. That's right, know? right. It's like when Stephen Hawkins did a brief history of time. Yep. And I listened to that, and I felt so sharp after that, and so enriched. And then I heard him do an interview on it. He said, "If anyone understood that, I don't know why, because I don't understand it." Yeah. <laughs> he made me feel like I was understanding something. Yeah. He said he didn't understand what he was talking about. Not half the time. This stuff is so unintuitive; it's insane, right? It's interesting. Yeah. So okay, so you get in, you get, you get with Honeywell. Mm -hmm. How long did you stay with Honeywell? I was only with Honeywell for a year. So the the program got canceled, probably. You know, I'm gonna say three months after I joined. What were you supposed to be doing? You know, program. Yeah, yeah. Good, good question. I don't know. I never actually worked on that. That oh, so they kept everyone separate. <laughs> kept everyone separate. Yeah, we, yeah, we were in the design group, but it, it got canceled shortly thereafter. I ended up working in circuit design for, uh, you know, probably six months total, 
And then um, I, I decided to go to law school. But at that point, um, they started shifting workers around the state because this, this particular place in Honeywell just didn't have the money for them. So the, um, I was a Phoenix guy anyway. So I went up, uh, I went up to the Honeywell plant in Phoenix, Arizona. And there I was working, this was, this was really cool. It was a standard missile three. So that's on the Aegis ballistic missile cruiser. This is the one where, you know, in theory, North Korea launches a, a missile and, and this thing, it. this thing hits it. That was super fun. These guys were, these guys were rocket scientists, you know? So I'll tell you, I'll tell you one, one funny, one funny story. This is, you know, you can never use this line, but um, we had Raytheon was our boss and Boeing was their boss and the, the Pentagon and, and um, our, the, our group was very slow in making, um, you know, making these components for these, for these missiles. It was really, really difficult stuff to make these valves um, for, that were in the, the third stage rocket motor that actually, that actually hit the incoming missile. So <clears throat> every day we'd have these daily meetings, seven in the morning, and it'd be, you know, five or 10 engineers in, in, the, uh, in Honeywell and Phoenix. And then our, our boss was this lady in Raytheon. And, and she would, you know, she's just pounding on my boss, right? And, you know, why, is, why isn't this behind? And what about this testing? And what about this? And blah, 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 the Pentagon's on me. And, you know, whatever, right? And, and finally, one day, my, my boss run this conference call. And, and, and she goes, what do, you want me to, what do you want me to tell General so-and-so? And he goes, you tell General so-and-so that this is rocket science, you know? <laughs> and, 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 you know, so again, I mean, I was, I was laughing, trying not, trying not to make any sound. Good. You know, I was like, damn, how often can you use that line? That's right. You know? Oh, that's beautiful. So. so what made you decide? After that, where did you go? And why did you decide to go outside? Yeah, so where did you go? So, you know, it, it, at that point, I already knew I was going to go to law school and try this patent thing. And my, you know. What made you decide to, that you wanted to go to law school and stop being an engineer? You know, I just didn't, I, I wasn't even aware of Silicon Valley at the time. Maybe I would have, I would have tried to go that path, but it just wasn't, you know, I don't know. I was an Arizona kid and I was born and raised in Arizona and, you know, that was kind of my world. Um, but yeah, it was just the, the job security issue. And I thought, oh, you know, you know, patents could be kind of fun. It's a little, you know, a little bit different. I, I, you know, I was always kind of into politics growing up. So, you know, the, the legal aspect was, was interesting, kind of combining these things. I thought, let me give it a shot. I said, if I don't like it, if I don't like law school, whatever, I'll just go back to being an engineer. Like, and while you're young, I, I always thought like, oh, let's take chances and see, you know, if you ever had no responsibility, you know, I didn't need any money. So yeah, let's give it a shot, you know, see what, see what happens. And uh, if I don't like it, hey, I got, a, I got a job here that I, that I do like. I could always come back to this and, and try to figure it out and make it work, right? Mm. I, I will say this, when I told, when I told my, uh, my more senior uh, colleagues at, at Honeywell I was going to be a lawyer, they looked at me like I was crazy. They said, Dennis, what are you, you got the best job in the world here. What are you doing? You want to go into law? You know, you really have to work. Yeah. You're, you're insane. <laughs> you know? So, uh, but yeah. I, so I, it's not, you know, we see, we see how it's glorifying to be a, a scientist, but usually in Disney movies or something mm -hmm. like that. But it's interesting. Your work hours have to be different. It's not a regular nine to five, is it? You know, it, it, de it depends on the project. Um, we would we'd manufacture these print and circuit boards. So we had the we had the engineer, the design engineers there, and the the guys making it, and the the technicians assembling it. W one thing that that would get me nervous was <clears throat> the circuit design guys. I think there were thirty of us, and so every um, uh, every weekend when no one when you know the engineers weren't at the plant but they were still making stuff, one of the circuit guys had to be on call in case in case the assembly line got shut down for some reason. Okay. Some something wasn't working. 
And I was nervous as hell when, when my name was called for that. I said, oh man, please, you know, please don't have anything break on my watch because I'm, I'm just a young guy that I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to solve the problem really. So, right. But they do um, actually have the same, you, you have set hours that you have to come in or? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much, except except for the weekend stuff. Okay, you know, um, you know, certain, you know, obviously certain programs can, you know, if you're running behind or something, yeah, you can work more. Right but yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty steady. Okay, so how did you end up through your path through Honeywell, and then how did you end up here? What did you do to come? Yeah, here? so uh, I I went to law school at American University in right. DC. So um, and, and how, I always what, what was that decision? Where'd that come from? Or was that just the school Man, you got just, into? Yeah, yeah, some some <laughs> anyone that would take me, you know. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Arizona State didn't take me, so I said, "Oh man, I, I'm I'm going out of state, I guess." You know, so okay, so you just then, put it out there. Yeah, it's like okay, let, let's let's see if uh, any if there are any takers. Um, so so yeah, went went to American. Um, I always knew I was going to be in the patent world. That was kind of the, you know, I knew that from the beginning. And the U.S. Patent Office is is in Alexandria, Virginia, so you know, right next to D.C. Mm-hmm. So. Um, there's a fair amount of patent attorney jobs in the DC area. It's kind of the kind of the mecca, right? The, the big cities have most of the jobs, but DC is the biggest of of uh, the guys doing what I'm doing. So I was able to get a job, you know, really quick. And, and you know, my colleague at the law firm were super nice. Um, we had a lot of Japanese clients, so that was my first exposure, kind of to the Japanese business world, right? Okay. The, the main partner, this guy Ken Hattori. He was, uh, you know, semi-famous in the in the patent world, right? Not famous in, in the outside world, but uh, so I worked under him and, and came to Japan once or twice for a business trip, and then, you know, probably after I think I was there seven years, and it was a great place. Loved my colleagues; everyone was super nice. No, but you working you working in the patent attorney office in, D, in Washington D.C. representing uh-huh. a, a lot of Japanese clients and customers and that was your first initial contact yep. with the Japanese and, and helping them um, try to get patents in the US mm-hmm. um, but after I think five years you know it, it got a little bit boring to be honest with you there there, there wasn't the variety of work that I wanted um, I didn't have any of my own clients or customers and so I started looking you know I started looking uh, to start up my own company and um, I knew I knew Japan there's lots of you know we work Patent guys, we work with engineering companies, right? So um, Japan, I mean, you know, you pick out anyone, anyone uh, in the U.S. and they they can name twenty or thirty Japanese engineering companies. You know, just everyone knows them. All the car companies, the electronic companies, right? I mean, there's so many good companies here. So there's a lot of there's a lot of potential work here. Um, So I thought, uh, all right, let me you know, let me see, let me see if I can make this work. Maybe I can get a client. I was 32 when I came here, so I thought maybe. Maybe I can get a get a good client if I if I come here. So let's say you get a client, Dennis. Yeah. You're looking for someone that's pumping out a lot of yeah. projects so they are making a lot of patents. Yes, exactly. So these, right? these big engineering companies, yeah. Okay. They're the easiest. They're the easiest. You could work with solo inventors. But then it's one a, or two. Yeah, it's a lot more work and you always have to be finding new people and it's it's a lot more hand holding. It it can be kind of fun because the invention's very important to this person. Um but it's a lot of hand-holding, a lot of questions. When you work with a big company, these guys are pros. They're pumping it out Exactly. The they, they know so, what they're doing. So, t- so let's take an example. Let's say I'm making the iPhone. Yeah. I'm the company that makes the iPhone. What am I asking for a patent in? What are the things? What would be some of the components that I'd sure. get patents on? Yeah. There's, I, heard, I heard someone estimate one time there's uh, like 1,500 patents that cover the iPhone or something like that. Right. Just the iPhone itself? Yeah. Yeah, and the co- yeah, the co- you know all the components in it. So you know, 
any of the circuitry, the lenses, the cameras, the software that's in there. Um, the shape? You know, yeah, the shape, the shape, the shape can be patented. That, that's called a design patent. And, okay, right, and right. usually we're talking for the, for the functional stuff, we'll talk about a utility patent, you know, that, that covers the utility of it. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a, a ton of things, a ton of things in there that you can patent. But there's also, isn't there a generic list of things that can't be patented? Yeah. So every, um, for example, yeah, every, everything that's been patented where the patent has expired, that is, that is free to the public. And oh, you mean it can never be patented again? Correct. So that, that is, that is the fundamental deal between the government and the people. So the, the government is going to grant the inventor um, an exclusive right to basically to make his invention, right, for about 20 years, let's say. Um, so he has monopoly power, so he can charge, you know, whatever prices, no one else can make it. So he, he can make all the money he can in that, in that first in 20, 20 years, years, has that market advantage. But after 20 years, he, he can't protect, he can't enforce that patent anymore. So now it gets disclosed to the public. And that's the idea of the patent system to help pro kind of promote science and advance, okay. you, you know, advanced technology. Now, that only applies in America, right? So, um, <laughs> yeah, patents are for each individual country. But so basically you want to get a patent anywhere you make and sell the claimed invention. Okay. Um, but your patent only covers that whatever, whatever country that you're in and, yeah, whatever, whatever you apply for. So let's say you're, you're a Japanese car company, you're a Honda. Um, you know, you're going to get a patent in U.S. and Canada in your biggest markets, right? Wherever you're, wherever you're selling these things, and then also you probably want to get patents wherever you're making it. So if you, you know, you're not selling many cars in Thailand, you know, many big cars in Thailand, but you're making it there, you, you'll probably get a patent there right. too. But that doesn't stop China from making the same identical car yep. in China. Exactly. Can they sell that car they've made in China anywhere they want? Not if there's a patent in that country. Okay, so they would, they would be. Okay, so if it came in, yep. the people who brought it in would be in problem. Would have problem. Exactly. That's where Honda could enforce, could enforce against, their patent. And that's why so you want it. So if patent, you can't use this car. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Okay. So, and the U.S. is the, you know, in general, it's the biggest market for, for almost all these companies. So right. everyone's going for patents in the U.S. And the U.S. legal system is very robust. You know, it's expensive. So, you know, patents are, are much more valuable in the U.S. than it would be in, in other countries. In other countries, right. Yep. And you want to hope that your patent is making you money so that you can afford the lawyers that it's going to take for you <laughs> to enforce it. Yeah. Because yeah. if you can't enforce it, what good is it? Yeah, patent lawsuits are, can be quite expensive. So, right, um, expensive. so my brother was a patent litigator, and I, and I think, you know, it, it'd be three million minimum, you know, and, that, and that's and for and the, what, the cheapest the period possible. Of time. What's the time? Well, it, it's it, that that would be down to you know after the jury trial, so that it would, oh, so you, you mean set there's a set amount, yeah. so it didn't matter how long it took, but you're yeah. going to be paying about three million. Yeah, that it, it minimum, yeah, right. you know, it minimum. So it's expensive. You know, you can send threat letters. Threat letters are cheap. <laughs> They're cheap, cheap, but it won't, won't stop your patent from go, being used. Going to trial is tough. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that is yeah. so interesting. What has been some of the most pleasure you've gotten out of being here in Japan this ten years? Oh, it's so, you know, it, it, it is interesting how people think differently than in the U.S. and the West. Give me some examples. And one example, yeah, there's one example that I love. Um, it, it's so funny to Americans, at least, right? I, I know you'll appreciate it. So I'm getting my first apartment. It's in Kobe. It's, it's right near uh, American Park. Yeah. Uh, and um, I have someone, like a translator, kind of helping me because there, there weren't, you know, I didn't know anything, there, and there weren't many real estate agents who could speak English. So, so she's helping me. 
and and we you know we do the deal and, and we you know we sign the lease and you know whatever and uh, so I, after after it signed I I, I asked her Casane uh, how you know so I did this for two years but I said after you know after the lease is up in two years how much do you think he's going to raise the rent what do you think like five percent ten percent or you know what can I expect right she looks at me like I'm from Mars she goes she goes Dennis he's he's not going to raise the rent he goes the building in the apartment's going to be older. If anything, he's going to lower the rent. <laughs> and she, she thought I was, you know, I was insane. I'm looking at her like, I've never, I guess it makes sense. I've never even considered this perspective, you know. Isn't that so, interesting? Okay. Yeah. So what makes you stay in Japan? You know, when I came here, I told myself, you know, let me give it three years. Even if I totally hate it, my commitment is going to be three years. I'll suffer. I'll suffer through it. And I'll at least have some good stories to tell back home. Okay. Maybe make some friends. Because that's where you go. You go back to Arizona, or would you go to the East Coast? Yeah, DC now. DC now. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's been good. The you know business has been relatively successful, and you know made friends and enjoy you know enjoying Japan. So so every year I you know kind of reevaluate and. Oh, so you actually so you haven't decided I'm going to be here yet. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be here permanently. But my yeah. my goal would be six months here, six months in the U.S. That would be okay. my goal. So you like so, what you've developed here so yeah, far? Yeah, yeah, I like it, and that's I, nice. you know, I like I like the people here, the community. Yeah, right. it, it's different being, you know, an expat somewhere. You can almost instantly be friends with someone, or just have that connection where, you know, you have to you have to be into a clique. Yeah. Everywhere else. Yeah. That, but that's the same here. If you're not a part of the expat community. Yeah. Doesn't matter where you are. So that's something I had to learn after being here for a while. I said. It's the expats who have the open minds that want to go and do things. They're the ones that you see on Discovery Channel. And they're the ones you can talk about anything because they've been dealing with people from all over and they realize it's a human issue, not a racial, not a religious, not an economic issue. It's a human issue. Mm -hmm. And you get, to, you get to discover that when you get in the expat community. Because people, they, first of all, they have to be pretty well off. They're above normal. Mm -hmm. They're above average. So economics aren't the issue they're dealing with so much. So they have a chance to really look inside and share their feelings without any threat. They don't have to worry about their religion because they're usually not in a place where that's a big issue. You know, among their group anyway. Mm -hmm. So I just love Or politics. They're, they're not in their country in a lot of times. So I really enjoy the expat life. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a big difference. But it's hard to go back to domestic life, even here in Japan. I like to touch it, but I don't know if I could live in it. Yeah. No. Have you learned the language? Have you tried to learn Japanese? You know what? I know a little bit, but not a lot. I'm actually re I'm starting to restudy now to, to get better. So okay. for what reason? Yeah, just just to just to make life easier and to have you, you found know. did have you have you had to use Japanese in your business? Or do you think that would help your business? More? So it, it certainly would. Um, the level, it, it would be a little, a little difficult for business, but it would definitely be helpful. So that, that would be nice if I, if I could do it. But that levels more than just the casual conversation level at that point, because it's, it's much more technical. And, different dialogue. Right? Yeah. yeah. You have to learn this precise dialogue. Well, before I end the podcast, Dennis, I'd like to ask this question. If you could go back in time with the knowledge you have now, and meet the younger Dennis. How old would he be, and what advice would you give him? That's that's interesting. You know, um, probably. You know, I, I would probably talk to him early college. Wait, first of all, how old are you now? 
43. 43, okay. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know, probably when I was when I was 18 or 19-ish, when I was when I was just starting college, because I, I really struggled in the beginning of my my uh, engineering classes. And I, I would just tell them, um, you know, just have perseverance, right? And one of my favorite quotes is from Thomas Paine, uh, the harder the struggle, the more glorious the triumph, wow. right? And, and uh, yeah, it, it, it makes it more satisfying when, when you achieve it. So just stick with it and you know, keep going. That's beautiful, Dennis. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me, Lance. I appreciate it. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And never forget, it's all alone. So continue to reach for the stars. Because you're too blessed to be stressed.